Today we're going to talk about grace, and we're going to talk about being strong in grace and what that means. So Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How about that? That's quite a section of scripture, isn't it? That what sets Jesus Christ apart from all the other high priests is that he was tempted in all ways as we are. He knows what it meant to be tempted, yet he was without sin. He was our sinless Savior. I was thinking this morning about discipleship. What is a disciple? A disciple simply means a disciplined one. It's a person who has chosen to discipline themselves to the faith. We talk about discipleship in this fellowship, and actually one of my big aims in this fellowship is that we disciple people. It's not just a, a nice, feel-good place to go and, and hear some some uplifting you know, verses. There's a lot of that, but the point here is, is that we are discipling people. And we talk often in this fellowship about the need for faithfulness, and no doubt about it, uh, faithfulness is a fundamental trait of the disciple. Paul says in Corinthians that men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those who are entrusted with the secrets of God. And it is required of those who have been given this trust to be proved faithful. Faithful. So faithfulness definitely is high on the agenda, high on the requirement for being a disciplined one, a disciple. Well, when we read this record in, in Hebrews, what does it mean to hold firmly to the faith that we profess? Well, first of all, it means to be faithful. But how do we accomplish this faithfulness? Is it is it our discipline alone? Is it through sheer grit and determination that we stay faithful to God? Is it our discipline that wins the day? If this is so, then why are we being exhorted to approach confidently the throne of grace in our time of need? The fact is, is that if we are relying on our own ability, our own discipline, our own grit and determination, we're going to fail miserably. Absolutely. The f world is filled with self-righteous religionists who claim that they hold the faith, but they, they don't. The truth is we simply cannot stay faithful to God without God's grace. And that's one of the greatest truths you'll ever hear. So what is grace? What is God's grace? God's grace simply means God's favor is divine favor. Go to Numbers chapter 6. God's grace is upon us regardless of our efforts, our works, and that's because our grace is through the ministry of Jesus Christ. Numbers chapter 6, and look at verse 22. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his son, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Now, remember, this is Old Testament, but it, God's grace was certainly in the Old Testament as well. It says, say to them, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So I love that verse, that God's face is turned towards us and he gives us peace. 
that God's face shines upon us. And like I said, this is Old Testament. You can imagine how much more God's face shines towards us in this administration. So grace, what is grace? Well, grace is God's sufficiency uh, in addition to being his favor. And the objective of our faith is our reliance upon God's sufficiency. Now, we talk about the work of the ministry. Too often in the work of the ministry, we falter and we fail to appreciate God's grace. We forget that God's favor is upon us, and we forget, most importantly, to rely upon him. And this is indicated oftentimes in our lack of thankfulness. Think about this. If God is a God of grace, grace means to give simply, that God favors us. He gives to us. He gives us abundantly. He's our sufficiency. But if I notice in my life that I don't have a corresponding sense of thankfulness, perhaps I'm not appreciating his grace as I should. We forget that it's God who works within us and those in whom we minister to. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. There was a teaching done in a previous ministry called the Seven Characteristics of a Faithful Minister. Um, you know, I've gone through and I've worked that since, you know, leaving that particular ministry. And I've found that some of the points that were made were a little, you know, they weren't God-breathed, let's say. But there was a lot of goodness in the, in the teaching itself. Uh, but I just wanted to read this section of Scripture. When we talk about ministry and ministering to other people, um, God has some some requirements. So let me read this to you. Second Timothy chapter two, verse one, it says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. There's a, there's a wonderful truth, isn't it? That what you've received, mentor others, commit those truths to others so that they can in turn teach others. Verse 3, endure hardship with us as good soldiers of Jesus, of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, and the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things. So isn't that something? So this is, this is the heart of a, uh, a disciple. That the, the disciple is engaged, he's involved. But the point that I wanted to make here is, go back and look at Second Timothy 2.1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. How about that? So before we get into the whole discipleship, all the things that are being required in our walk as ministers, the first thing that's required is to be strong in grace, strong in grace. In other words, we're strong in our reliance upon God from a personal standpoint. This applies to our personal lives and the people that we minister to. We are strong. The word strong indicates that this is grace is something that can vary, that you can become weaker in grace. You can become stronger in grace. So that's the point. When we are talking about grace in a person's life, the word says to be strong in the grace. And this reliance that we have upon God as our sufficiency requires trust. We have to trust that he's going to supply us everything that we need. I have this quote here by Billy Graham. It says, we can be certain that God will give us the strength and the resources we need to live through any situation in life that he ordains. The will of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. The will of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. And that's absolutely true. And for us to be effective, we need to trust that. We need to look to God as our sufficiency. That's a true comfort to understand that there is no place that we can go that God will not be there with us. God supplies the strength and the resources that we need. And what we have, we give off. So if I'm not strong in the grace, my ministry won't be strong in the grace. I won't be ministering grace. That's the point. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Grace is essential for the, for the believer and especially for the minister. Grace. I think at the root of, of grace is the recognition that we are sinners, that there is nothing inherently righteous about me, that everything that I am and everything that I have is because of God's goodness. Luke chapter 12, look in verse 42. And the Lord answered, Who then is a faithful and wise manager? who the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. This will be good for the servant whom the master finds doing when he returns. So the master is absent. He puts his, uh, his servant in charge. He says, I'm going to commit a charge to you and I want you to see it through. And, and, uh, and when he comes back, he finds that servant doing the right thing. It's a blessing. Verse 44, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, hmm, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So this is a, this, this uh, servant is not strong in the grace. He's not relying upon the master and he's not ministering what the mass, the goodness of the master. I saw this quote the other day. I put it up on Facebook. I loved it so much, but it says, whoso or whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angry nor harsh or critical of others. He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners. Interesting, isn't it? Fellow sinners, knowing that if there is a difference, it is grace alone which has made it. How about that? 
How about that? The minister is strong in grace. He's working with people who are less strong in grace. But that doesn't change anything because he recognizes that it's grace alone that has blessed him and made him the man or woman he is today, or they are today. The disciple Christian understands that strength and grace means one's utter dependence upon God. It's God who gets the glory. Go to Psalm 84, Psalm 84, and look in verse 11. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God will bless you with what you need to deal with the issues that you're dealing with today. Um, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I wanted to read it to you about this verse, uh, Psalm 84:11. He says, grace is what we need just now, and it will be had freely. What can be freer than a gift? Today we shall receive sustaining, strengthening, sanctifying, satisfying grace. He has given daily grace until now, and as for the future, that grace is still sufficient. If we have but little grace, the fault most lies with ourselves, for the Lord is not straightened, neither is he slow to bestow it in abundance. We may ask for as much as we will, and never fear a refusal. Isn't that wonderful? He gives liberally and upbraideth not. The Lord may not give gold, but he will give grace. He may not give gain, but he will give grace. He will certainly send us trial, but he will give grace in proportion thereto. We may be called to labor and to suffer, but with the call, there will come all the grace required. What an end is that in the text and glory. We do not need glory yet, and we are not yet fit for it, but we shall have it in due order. After we have eaten the bread of grace, we shall drink the wine of glory. We must go through the holy, which is grace, to the holiest of all, which is glory. These words and glory are enough to make a man dance for joy. A little while, a little while, and then glory forever. Isn't that wonderful? I thought that was really kind of neat. Go to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. Look in verse 15. It says, This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. So this is, uh, this is Isaiah the prophet speaking out, and he's giving a message to Israel from God, speaking to a wayward nation. And he says to them, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Isn't that something? Why would a person reject God's salvation and strength and reject God's grace? Well, that's because of his, his uh, own sense of self-sufficiency and self-reliance, that a, a stronghold in the heart, self-determination, self-absolution. I don't need God to forgive me. I forgive myself. Well, that's not how it works. In essence, we say, I don't need God for what I can do for myself. And this is the essence of what religion is all about, false religion. Verse 16, you said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you have left like a flagstaff on the mountaintop. 
like a banner on a hill. In other words, basically, when we try to do things our own way instead of God's way, it always ends in disaster. It just does. Verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Wait for him. And that's one of the great traits of a a person who is strong in grace is that they wait upon the Lord. I think oftentimes we get impatient. Uh, We doubt our own faith, our own trust, and we go running off and try to fix it with our own answers. Discipleship without grace is always a losing proposition. I came across this quote. It says, I do not at all understand the fullness of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. And that's true. Grace will always change us. In fact, A.W. Tozer said, if you have not been changed by grace, you are not saved by grace. I thought that was interesting. The disciple needs God to change him, to make him holy. To be strong in grace means to die to oneself. A person who is a disciple of the Lord will take up his cross daily and follow the Lord. It's easy for him to understand that since one died for all, we no longer live to ourselves, but to him who for their sake has died and been raised. His life is no longer his own. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, and look in verse 5. This is Paul, and Paul says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more highly or more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So Paul was given these incredible revelations. And as God lays things on you and you become more spiritually adept, more spiritually capable, you start seeing things with God. You you notice that perhaps you see things a little further than your fellow Christian, right? And the temptation is to do what? To become conceited right? To become superior, to start talking down with people, to start quarreling with people, right? And Paul is saying, look, you know, the the Lord gave me a a messenger from Satan or allowed a messenger from Satan to buffet me lest I be overwhelmed with my own conceit. And so what did he do? In verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. What was Paul's weakness? Well, it was this perhaps temptation to get conceited, right? And he had to rely upon the Lord. My power is made perfect in weakness. The realization that I cannot do this thing on my own. I am too susceptible to sin. All of us are. We are just susceptible to sin. We have to rely on God, his goodness, his righteousness, his forgiveness. I need God, and I need my Lord all the time. And when I start thinking that I can do this thing without him, that's when I get myself into trouble. Mike Tarmelin mentioned it in one of his teachings. The Holy Spirit that God gave us relentlessly goes after the sin in my life, the strongholds in my life. That's its purpose, that that Holy Spirit prosecutes 
my sin, prosecutes my sin. And the objective of that is that we all lead holy lives before God, lives that are well-pleasing to him. And this is grace. Think about this. The Old Testament believer didn't have that, but we do, that the Holy Spirit within us is there to empower us, absolutely, but it's also there to go after the sin in our lives, to expose, to put light to darkness. If we yield to that grace and refuse to frustrate it, God will open our hearts to a deeper fellowship with him. And this is a necessity for the servant of God. If I'm going to have something to minister to other people, I've got to be open to God's sufficiency. It's the hard, stubborn, self-sufficient heart that keeps, uh, keeps us from God. When we think that we can do it all ourselves, then God leaves us to ourselves. Verse 12, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Or another way of saying it, when I am weak, then God is strong in me and through me, right? Think about this. How did Paul go, go from being an arrogant, conceited, malicious man when he was a Pharisee to the man who received the revelation of the, the mystery? It was the spirit within, the grace that God placed within him. Grace brought him to where he was. And that was his point, that we have got to be strong in the grace, in our reliance on God. The greatness of grace is this. We of our own selves are weak and sinful, and only our pride tells us differently. I'll say that again. We of our own selves are weak and sinful, and only our pride tells us differently. But when we are humble, or humbled in some cases, we are overwhelmed with God's grace. Satan takes advantage of our personal failings, but you know what? So does God. <laughs> God, God takes advantage. When we are weak, he is strong. And I, I firmly believe that, you know, there's the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. And in that transition from one to the other, the believer has to become weak to become strong. Does that make sense? We have to become foolish to become wise. And that's the transition. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and deliver us from all unrighteousness, it says in the word. We recognize that anything good in me, anything good produced by me is from God. It's from God. God is the all in all of my goodness. He's the all in all of my strength, my confidence, my prosperity. God is our self-sufficiency and our self-reliance, self-determination, self-absolution. Paul called dung in the book of Philippians. Grace is what we need. We look upon our challenges now, if when we're strong in grace, not as burdens, though they are burdens, but we see them as challenges, trials, opportunities to know God's grace deeper, that we know that God's good work is happening within us. Remember the verse in Philippians that says, he that has performed a good work and you shall continue it until the day of Jesus Christ, that God is at work within us. When we are weak, when we are unable to do it ourselves, God is able to do it. 
the natural man and the carnal Christian, who do little more than bemoan their bad luck, cannot understand this whole arrangement that, that uh, when we are weak, we are strong. When our hearts are filled with ourselves, my rights or my needs, there's no room for God's grace. Another way of saying my grace is sufficient for you is you have no need of anything else for my grace is all that you need. And that's true. God's grace is all that you, that we need. He said that to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you while his grace is sufficient for us. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1, look in verse 8, 2 Timothy 1, 8. It says, so do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Isn't that an odd request? Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to what? A holy life. He's called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So we've been called to a life of suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God has called us to a holy life. And it's not anything that we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. It goes on to say this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I am appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And this is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard, and these next words are not correct, to guard what he entrusted to me until that day. How about that? He says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able. And those are some great words, aren't they? Our grace is through Jesus Christ. We will suffer and will continue to suffer for the gospel. Why? Well, simply because Satan hates Jesus Christ. But we are not ashamed. We are not ashamed. You see, grace is a word that too often is thrown around in Christian circles, often with very little thought or, you know, any kind of deep contemplation. In many ways, it's lost its meaning. I wanted to read to you this section. Uh, I've read it before in fellowship, and I really like it. It's a section, uh, The Cost of Discipleship by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. So just sit back and listen to this. He talks about cheap grace, and I wanted to read this to you. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wear. Forgiveness of sins and the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price. Grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in, ad in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibility of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace 
without Jesus Christ. But costly grace is the hidden treasure in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out an eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Yea, uh, ye were bought with a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the son of God. That's something. I love that. There's another quote that I came across, and I, I really like this. It says, small may be our strength in these last days. The tide of error and sin and worldliness may be running very strong. It may not be easy to confess Christ or to hold fast his truth, but his grace is sufficient for us. And woe be to us if we give way to the errors of the age or conform to its vanities or seek to please its multitude, either under the dread of public opinion or the fear of not being reputed men of progress or the shrinking from more direct persecution and hatred. Faithfulness to Christ and to his truth is everything, especially in the days when iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. How about that? What a quote. Just incredible. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. And uh, we're, we're in the downslope here. Got a few more verses I want to share. Titus chapter 2 and look in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's interesting, isn't it? So the living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, that's discipleship. That's what discipleship is. But it's that grace that God gave to us that enables us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. In other words, it's God's grace that allows me to be a disciple in the first place. So lest I become so consumed with my discipline, my discipline is a blessing that God has given me. He's enabled me that I can di discipline myself to this walk. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good, eager to do what is good. See, this isn't just reluctant religious duties. It's being eager to do what is good. Verse 15, it says, These then are the things that you should teach. 
encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. How about that? Turn to First Peter. We're going to be ending up in First Peter here. In chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, look in verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that you, your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Isn't that something? Your brethren throughout the world. See, this isn't just a, you know, a, a countrywide faith or a parochial faith. This is worldwide. He goes on in verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will uh, himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Isn't that wonderful? The God of all grace will restore you, and he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. All right, so... Be strong in the grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that message. Father, we thank you for grace. Father, it's just overwhelming, Father. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have such love and compassion in your heart that you can look past our egregious sins and, and, Father, love us anyway. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your plan of salvation through Christ. And, Father, you saved us and that he is a complete Savior. And that, Father, you've given us wholeness and that saving salvation. So, Father, thank you for that. And thank you, Father, for blessing this fellowship. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, this is the bit where everyone yells. Hold on, be strong